It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my partner and co-host John Riley. We're broadcasting this afternoon from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studio. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast. We're coming off a great sports weekend. We are marching towards the baseball trading deadline, and we have a ton of topics on the table. And our broadcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, enjoy it. John, take a deep breath because there's a lot to talk about. This is always the most exciting time of the baseball season when we find out all about all these trades and all these teams radically changing. And we got 24 hours left, so I'm really anxious to see what happens. And we will talk not just baseball on the baseball trading deadline. We will talk NFL football. We will talk about other topics on the table in college football. And, of course, what's going to happen at midnight tonight, Team USA Portugal Women's World Cup last game, Group E. We will get to all that. John, before we launch into the baseball trading deadline, tell people how they can join us on the Dixie Line Fans Forum right at the end of our live stream today. Yeah, you can get involved in Fans Forum. Just type in your question or comment for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the Fans Forum. Jeez, every time we have a podcast episode, Lee, there are tons of people getting involved. So get in front of the line right now. You can drop your take in in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And a reminder, subscribe to what we're doing, share all that information with all your friends, tell them what we do with our podcast, bonus podcast on Monday, regular podcast on Thursday. Subscribe so you'll get all the alerts because we add something to the podcast every day of the week. And you got spare time on your hands. Go to the address at the top of that screen, leehacksawhamilton.com. Check out my website, a ton of written information. And today I sent an email to A.J. Preller in my One Man's Opinion column telling him what he should do with the Padres of the trading deadline. Go read my column (laughs) on my website today. John, ready, set. Go talk okay. baseball. I mean, talk about A.J. Preller. Did he call you back? I mean, does he have some ideas <laughs> that he needs to run it by you, Axel? Probably went to voicemail. He's probably on a cell phone talking to other general managers. Padres, great question. Buyer or seller? John, they come off a sweep over a devastated Texas Ranger ball club. I think the big issue, had the Padres lost all three, had they lost two of three, my gut feel is the Padres would have waved the white flag. They would have become sellers. Don't be a seller. Be a buyer if you can wedge it within to your payroll. Uh, the Padres got to keep the Fab Four together. They're all hitting pretty decently. Not to the averages they had, have had in their past in their career, but they're hitting decently. The team has won eight of its last 12. They're within a Texas League fly ball of being into the wild card race. They're five games out of the last wild card spot, eight games back out of first place because the Dodgers have, have hit a bump in the road. Keep the Fab Four together. Soto is hitting 286 since May, John. Snell, 
Who could have ever thought we would use the word Cy Young Award with Blake Snell in the same sentence after what we've seen for three years in San Diego? Blake Snell in his last 13 starts, John, 0.72 ERA. He's got 108 strikeouts in his last 74 innings. And in June and July, hitters are batting just 166 against Blake Snell. Josh Hader, 25 saves. You need a closer if you're going to be in postseason. Now, the wild card in all the considerations that A.J. Preller has to make is just not the player's talent if he were to move a name guy and not just what they would get in return. But Scott Boros, the agent. Boros represents Soto. Boros represents Blake Snell. There's a price tag that's attached to that name, Scott Boros, which I think chases some owners and general managers away. I don't know that this fits into the conversation right now, but because the Padres are playing better and they're now within a Texas League fly ball of being back in the wild card race, though the schedule is tough, uh, I think they if they could buy, if they could buy a rental first baseman or if they could rent a back-of-the-end rotation guy, Maybe to do it. I don't think they've got an awful lot of space with the luxury tax to do anything real significant. At Colorado to start this brief road trip against the devastated Rockies who've traded all their players away and the rest of their players are hurt. Then they get the enemy. The baseball season will be decided this coming weekend, John. Mm -hmm. Four-game series with the Dodgers, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Padres... Playoff hopes will be decided by Sunday night at Petco Park. Then they got to go to Seattle. Then they get Baltimore. And now they're going to face a rejuvenated Arizona Diamondbacks team. So the schedule is pretty doggone rugged. But I'm a buyer with whatever change he got left in his pocket, money left in his checking account. Had they lost to Texas, they probably would have been a seller. Agree or disagree? Yell at me. Go ahead. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, they were going to I thought they were going to struggle against Texas and then for sure they'd be a seller. But now you look at it, two games uh, below 500, you know, they're right on the cusp of being relevant again and the Fab 4, all their numbers are increasing, but they need a DH. I mean, if it's a first baseman DH combo be great. But man, Blake Snell, I mean, he was the NL pitcher of the month in June, maybe July too. Blake Snell's doing when he did that one magical season in Tampa, when I think he went 21-5 and five and won the Cy Young Award. Uh, the guy, of course, had elbow surgery a year after that. Uh, it took a while to get back. Still erratic. Uh, he's a real bulldog on the mound. He throws a lot of pitches in his five-inning starts. He's always walking guys. got guys on base. <laughs> yeah. But his stuff is electric enough. So, I mean, this is the guy that we saw that one mystical year in Tampa. And now maybe Padres rethink, even though Scott Boris is the agent, let's do this extension to keep Blake Snell here if Blake Snell can continue to stay healthy. So, tell you, the, the emotional mood swings covering the Padres and talking about the Padres. <laughs> it's a roller coaster. It really is. So, Padres, I think, can be a buyer. They're definitely not a seller. Next Team. Okay, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the Dodgers because they've already made some big moves. Well, they have. And I guess the question is, great question, did they do enough? I don't know that they've done enough. I'm not sure that I agree with what they've done so far. I mean, they've acquired two pitchers, a shortstop, and a second baseman. I don't know if these are the right guys. Now, they must think in their analytics department that they can fix Lance Lynn, former Cardinal, heavy-duty starter, 
White Sox guy, but he starts tomorrow night against the Oakland Athletics. And as he unpacks his suitcase, what's in his luggage? A 6.42 ERA, 28 (laughs) home runs allowed in 12 starts. Something's not right with the guy. He's still throwing heat. He's still striking guys out, but they're hitting the ball out of the yard. So the Dodgers analytics people must see something that tells them we can make an adjustment. And I don't know whether it's release point or it's stride off the mound. We can adjust so that his heat becomes unhittable again because he was a real warrior as a starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. So Lance Lynn, to me, was a bit of a surprise. Joe Kelly was not. He's a feisty, set-up relief guy who wants the ball as often he can get the ball. He does pitch a lot of games. Of course, prior to that, they had made the trade for the young shortstop from Cleveland, Ahmed Rosario. Maybe with a better batting order around him, he's going to hit better. Maybe he'll play better defense. His defense is not what it was when he first got to Cleveland from the Mets. And then they they traded for super utility guy, Kiki Hernandez, who's like Chris Taylor, suddenly shows up and gets a big hit. Doesn't do it on a night-by-night basis. Here's the big storyline as it relates to that guy, Andrew Friedman, because he has the history of making significant deals and a significant name, John, is still out there for the Dodgers to go after. We're talking Justin Verlander. Baseball guys that I network with tell me, The Mets want a bunch of the Dodgers' kid pitchers. Dodgers are going to have to give up somebody. It's not going to be Bobby Miller, but it might be any of those other young AAA guys you and I have talked about. But the Dodgers also want the Mets to pay a portion of the Verlander contract. His number this year is $43 million. We're halfway through that, so they owe him probably $18 to $20 million. $43 million next year. Because of what the Mets paid to make the Texas Ranger deal, they paid a chunk of Max Scherzer's contract going to Arlington. Dodgers want the Mets to do the same if Verlander's coming to Dodger Stadium. That becomes an issue because, last I checked, the Mets and the Dodgers are in the National League. They don't want to have to face this guy a bunch of times while paying him a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. So that's a big issue. The other issue is Verlander has a vesting option after 24 For the 2025 season, and the Dodgers want that vesting option removed. If we're taking this guy on and giving up our prospects and all our money, we don't want to be saddled with a then 42-year-old pitcher if he's not pitching well. So there's some complications to make this thing work. The question is, does Steve Cohen want to remove the contract from the New York Mets payroll? And is he willing to write another check like he did in the Scherzer-Texas deal to get Verlander here. So I don't think they're done, but Andrew Friedman obviously wants some things changed in the Verlander package. Uh, It's amazing. The Dodgers have acquired four players and have yet to give up any of the Bobby Blue Chip guys Mm. at AAA. Go ahead. You're a Dodger fan, more or less. Sort of. I mean, Verlander. I mean, it's amazing that now he's in the mix with the Dodgers because they usually always find a way to get the hot guy. You know, they got Scherzer a couple of years ago. Um, there's always been that history. But, yeah, it just seems that 
you know, Verlander is well over 40. I mean, he's going to, at some point, he's going to fall off a cliff and not be very productive. But you look at Lance Lynn, that guy's been around for a long time, and he just throws the ball straight and fast. And at some point, they're going to catch up to that. He may not be a, a top performer for the Dodgers. I mean, maybe he's going to be slotted in the number four or five on the, on the rotation. What do you think, Lee? Well, here's the history. I mean, the Dodgers, I, I went back and did some digging on this story today. The Dodgers' starting rotation in the month of July, starters, mm-hmm. July 1st to tonight, 6.31 ERA, Ooh. 6.31 ERA. They have been keeping baseball statistics of this sort since 1912. This is the worst month in the history of Dodger baseball for any other starters. Wow. Dating back to 1912. So... Lance Lynn comes in, gives him innings, throws some fastballs. Maybe they can make an adjustment to his release point or his stride off the rubber to see if they can get back to what he was. Because dude giving up 28 home runs in half a season. Nobody does that <laughs> in Major League Baseball. So, But as a, as a third or fourth guy, I would trust him. But I don't like the fact he's given up the number of bombs that he's giving up. You know, the Dodgers are holding their breath because they've obviously— out, outside of their their ace, they're really scuffling and struggling. They hope to get Kershaw back within 10 days. He's had two very aggressive bullpen sessions, has not had a recurrence of the shoulder. They don't know whether they should send him to AAA to let him max out and throw one start and see how his body is. Um, you know, Julio Urias is just really running hot and cold. Uh, the, the kid pitchers outside of Bobby Miller are just totally overwhelmed. So they're really wafer thin. So Lynn comes in and he's going to give them innings, hopefully without lots of home runs. Okay, so that's that's where we are with the Dodgers. We're sitting and waiting to see if they change the mailing address from Justin Verlander from City Field, New York, to Chavez Ravine. Let's talk about the third team out here that we continually cover because we do have Halo fans. Yeah, so let's let's talk Angels. I mean, there's a lot going on here. They've made some deals. Yeah, they've traded their way into the playoff. They've, they've really been aggressive. Nobody nationwide's talking about their aggressiveness. You know, not only is the storyline with the Halos, Otani, and the commitment to keep him the rest of the season and then probably try to sign him at the end of the season. But the Angels have acquired six players since early June. Nobody's thought about that. They think about, well, what they just did the trade deadline. But look at what they've done. I mean, they traded for Lucas Giolito, who was the lead starter in Chicago. Prior to that, was a pretty good young pitcher in Toronto. Uh, they, they picked up Ray Lopez, a setup reliever from the White Sox in the Giolito deal. Late Sunday night, they made the trade with the Rockies to get two bats. These are rentals, but these guys are proven journeyman guys. Mm-hmm. C.J. Kron's a 260 hitter. He's got 11 bombs this year. Has been on the uh, injured list for about a month. He's back active. Randall Grichuk is the former number one draft pick. Was with Toronto, St. Louis. He's moved around a lot, but he's been productive. He's hitting like 314. He's got eight home runs. He's been hurt too. He's coming off the IL. And of course, prior to that, uh, they made the deal to get Eduardo Escobar, super utility infielder, had been with the Mets, and they made the deal to guy a guy who can swing the stick occasionally, and, and Mike Moustakas, former Kansas City Royals star, had been with Cincinnati and Boston, kind of moved around, can play third, can play second, he'll play first, he'll do anything you want. 
So they've been aggressive in terms of trying to package a whole roster together. And boy, I'll tell you, John, we, you know, you and I talk baseball all the time on, on a live stream and off air when we text. It's hard to believe the Angels are one game, half game out of the wild card race right now. Angels got seven guys on the DL. Mike Trout, Rendon, the third baseman they traded for, Gino Ursula, Brandon Drury, who was very productive, super utility guy. They just lost Taylor Ward, got hit in the face with a fastball over the weekend, got a fractured orbital bone and is out indefinitely. Uh, young catcher they were grooming who hit home runs to start the season, Logan Ohape, he's still not back. And they just DFA Jared Walsh, who had injury problems, who was their first baseman. So they got seven significant names, and they're only a fastball punched into right field away from being in the wild card race. So now they're committed to Otani, and now they're, they've added, like I say, six guys. So I'm impressed with Perry Manese and the general managers trying to do it, the mandate of Artie Moreno. Yeah, I'm excited about the Angels. I mean, we want to see them. You know, how many games has Mike Trout been in the playoffs? Like two, maybe mm-hmm. one series. But I was listening to the national media yesterday um, as I was driving in my car, and they were commenting about how Artie Moreno really didn't have any other play here because he couldn't trade Otani. And because, you know, it would be a revolt from the fans. You'd never get back what you wanted. And so he's gone all in. And the national media guys were all excited saying, hey, love that he's doing it, but I don't think it's ever going to work anyways. So, you know, people still don't have confidence. Well, we'll only see if their pitching can hold up. But obviously getting Giolito to now actually be the trustworthy number two guy behind Otani and then you're hoping Reed Detmers has good outings and Sandoval can have good outings. They don't have a lot of other young young pitching. But, but uh, Giolito gave up some bombs in, in Toronto, didn't he? Yes, he did. And he's got to find himself, too. Once upon a time, a year ago, he was the ace of the White Sox staff. And prior to that, he had pitched pretty well in Toronto. Okay, so we go from those three teams here in SoCal. Let's just talk about what's happened so far on the on the trade board. Yeah, I mean, there's already been a lot of big names moving, and I'm sure we're going to see more in the next 24 hours. Well, the biggest name, obviously, was the surprise late-night deal that sent Max Scherzer and $35 million. That's what the Mets are paying his contract to go to Texas, and they got a great young shortstop who's going to be in the major league level tomorrow night, Luis Acuna. He is the brother of the Angels superstar, Ronald Acuna. Uh, That was one trade. Uh, Jordan Hicks, frontline closer, goes from the Cardinals to Toronto for two top young prospects. They were negotiating with Hicks on a contract extension right up to the end. He's got like 21 saves, but, you know, it's a bad St. Louis Cardinals team, and evidently what he asked for, they were not willing to pay. So he goes to the Jays. And then they turned around within an hour after trading Hicks, and they traded one of their starting pitchers, Jordan Montgomery, which is a bit of a surprise because they don't have a lot of starting pitching. They have a lot of age and a lot of injury, but they get three prospects out of that deal. And then Colorado traded Pierce Johnson, their closer, who had 12 saves on a lousy club. He goes to Atlanta for a young prospect. A couple more deals on this Monday afternoon. We're 24 hours away from the trade deadline. Cleveland dealt Adam Savale, a pretty good starting pitcher, back into the rotation to Tampa for a top prospect. And and Cleveland, they got excess pitching. Tampa's got 
seven pitchers on IL. You know, they were 20-3 and three at one start. They're playing sub-500 baseball because they've lost all their starting pitchers. And then Arizona just made a deal to get Seattle uh, closer Paul Seawald, who's got 21 saves. I'm surprised the Mariners moved him, but they did. Traded him to Arizona for a couple of hot prospects. So Arizona now has what they think is a legitimate closer to go with a young pitching staff that I think is kind of running out of gas. So that that should help them along the way. My count as of the start of our live stream today on the Dixie Line scoreboard, my count is there have been 16 trades so far at the deadline, encompasses 22 veteran players moving, and 19 prospects were shipped the other way. Obviously, there's still names like Justin Verlander out there that could still be moved before 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Well, I'm I'm still waiting here for the the big flurry, you know, because usually they they go like dominoes. Um, and I thought when Scherzer was dealt, we, that's when we'd see a lot of these other pitchers go. And yeah, St. Louis finally unloaded some of those guys. But you know, you look at these teams and and everyone needs something. But right now, it's got to be a seller's market, right? I would think so. But I think what holds it up right now is some of the guys, notably the two top pitchers, John. That's big money. That's big money with a team that's against the the luxury tax. So you can't snap your fingers and tell Texas, because Texas has spent a lot of money in free agency, Mm -hmm. go make the Scherzer deal. Well, Texas says, no, the Mets got to pay us some of that contract off. And I think that same conversation is going on between New York, the Dodgers, New York, and Houston, because the Astros are in the running to bring Verlander back. And the big question is, can either of you guys at Dodger Stadium or at Sunkist Field in Houston, can either of you take on $43 million next year? Because that's Verlander's number. And can, are you willing to take on the 2025 contract at the same figure? Uh, so that's these deals don't get made with one phone call. There's a lot more stuff going on behind the curtain as it relates to who, who picks up who. But, you know, the Mets... I mean, they've been in a rage. The fans have been in the media, been in a rage all year because of a lousy start. Then the the raging question, are you going to add? Or now the raging controversy, you've given up. I mean, a lot of stuff's being directed at the owner, Steve Cohen. Yeah, what is Steve Cohen thinking right now? You know, because he spent a ton of money to get these guys, and now he's going to have to spend money to get rid of them. $355 million payroll. Wow. And they're not in the playoff race right now. And his quick response is, we gave it our best shot. So if we move people off, that'll give us space to go do our best shot again in the offseason. So that's baseball. Hey, our podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, enjoy it. And by the way, speaking of Dixie Line, get summer project savings at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Get power tools, paints, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, and more. Check out all the great monthly ad promotions. Go to the website, DixieLine.com. DixieLine. Fix it. Build it. Enjoy it. DixieLine, our corporate sponsor here as we broadcast from the DixieLine studios. John, we're at halftime. Let's go from baseball. Let's talk football. A lot of different topics on the table. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just so much going on right now. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about San Diego State. I mean, you go to those press conferences and see Brady Hoke. How are they doing down there on Montezuma Mesa? Well, they go into pads on Tuesday. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that this will be a bounce-back season. I think last year was a disaster. I think it was a one-off. However, there's a price to be paid when you don't do well. 
And this is kind of a stunning story. You have to win. They did not win, and now they're suffering because of what did not happen year one at Snapdragon Stadium. You know, I, I in a sense, I mean, I've been critical of some of the junk involving Brady Hoke and the Aztecs, but I feel bad for Brady Hoke because that's a legitimately good coach and I think a good person and an honorable guy. But he's come through COVID. He came through two years in which they had to be a road team when they were playing in Carson while they were tearing down the old stadium. Season last year wrecked by injuries to his quarterbacks. I don't know anybody in the world that went through five quarterbacks last year. Brady Hoke had to. Mess in the offensive line, player defections, fired the offensive coordinator. Obviously, the stain in the spillover from the Matariza situation did not turn out to be a good season. There were seven and six. Last two years have kind of been kind of kind of iffy, and now they're suffering because of it. John, they sold 15,974 season tickets last year to Snapdragon, almost 16,000. Their total this year is 10,079. They have lost over 5,600 season ticket holders in one year. Will some of them come back? Good question. They should come back because I think it's a, a quality football program with good kids and established coaches. They should come back because they're playing UCLA, Boise, Fresno, Nevada, all the enemy in the conference here. Hmm. What a great home schedule. But they haven't. 5,600 is a hell of a drop-off. Part of that because of the product, part of that because the prices were so high, people started to get offended thinking it was they're, they're gouging us. So San Diego State has lowered some ticket prices. They've lowered some parking, but, quote, damage done. Uh, Aztecs have to win. If they can bounce back and if they can put together something that's like 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one or even 9-3, even and three, maybe the fans will turn around and come back. Of course, an invitation to the Pac-12 might ignite the community too, but it, that's a phenomenal number of cancellations on season tickets. It's a big number. I mean, do they still ask for a, what do they call it, a seat license fee or a donation to the Boosters Club? I mean, it's more than just the price of the ticket, right? Yeah, you'll be writing a check for add-ons mm-hmm. if you buy season tickets for the Aztecs, but that's that's commonplace a lot of places. I don't okay. care if you're at Indiana in the Big Ten or you're at Rice University or you're at Oregon State. It It, it comes with being a, quote, booster and supporter. But I'm optimistic. I, I, I'm so impressed with Ryan Lindley, obviously getting a veteran quarterback back, how deep they are at running back, how unbelievably gifted I think they are going to be uh, defensively. they got to figure out their top three defensive linemen, but they have a load of linebackers, a load in the secondary. they got Brady Hoke's wild-ass defense that they play that nobody else could figure out. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's probably a bounce-back season, but... They're going to be a pile of empty seats at Snapdragon. That's that's the end result of what happened a year ago. Who's the um, the favorite going in on the Mountain West Conference? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think. Who did they pick? I think it was Boise State 1, which surprised me because Boise's changing quarterbacks. Air Force was a surprise pick number 2. Fresno, which does not have its quarterback, Jake Hayner, who's gone to the NFL, they were picked third. And the Aztecs, the aftermath of losing so many linemen, offense, defense, um, and they would pick fourth. So they got something to prove, but I think with that leadership, they'll prove it. 
But boy, there'll be empty seats. That's a lot of empty seats. Yeah, a lot of chairs there. But you know what? That stadium, I mean, they've been hosting a lot of big games, mm-hmm. a lot of soccer, a lot of uh, other kinds of lacrosse concerts. So I think people are warming up to that as an asset here in the San Diego community. If the, if the Aztecs start winning, then I think they have a shot to start fill that up again. We'll see if the excitement comes back, because you sure was excitement a year ago this week as we were getting ready for the first opener against Arizona. And then the Aztecs lost to the Wildcats and lost to the Weatherman, and they <laughs> lost their fans in the, in the process. Okay, so we go from San Diego State football. Let's talk other college football, because, boy, there are other headlines out yeah, there. I mean, the what's going on here between these conferences is just it's exciting. There's a lot of moving parts. Pac-12, Big 12, they're in the headlines. There's... There's a bit of a war going on right now. You know, last week, Colorado defected. Finally signed off on Thursday night. They're going back to the Big 12. Um, the big question is, what is the fallout? Uh, Colorado's president said the reason they made the decision last, late last Thursday night was they could not get answers from the Pac-12 about the new media contract. They couldn't get definition where the games would be placed, who are these three partners you're negotiating with. They could not get designation. What is the dollar value to each of the schools who signed the deed of rights Hmm. over to you? He said, because we could not get those answers. We talked to the Big 12 and we got the answers. And the Big 12 said, you come, we'll guarantee you 37 million the first year. So that that's the reason the Pac-12 just was not ready to give up the data because maybe they didn't have the, the final data. That being said, I brought this up last week. Apologies to anybody who's a fan of the Buffaloes in Boulder. <laughs> I don't know what the hell Colorado brings to the Big 12. Colorado's 27 and 76 in the last 11 years since they went to the Pac-10, Pac-12. Terrible. Now, granted, you're bringing a guy with a cowboy hat. I do understand that, Coach Prime and all that. But what else are you bringing? Dion went public this morning, though, with the opening of their camp in Boulder. And he said, going to the Big 12 is going to help us recruit Texas and Florida. Because hmm. they evidently weren't getting in a lot of front doors, even with Dion wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> now they will, supposedly, okay. in the Big 12. But, you know, for all the fans in Boulder and all the Colorado transplants that live out here, it's not the same Big 12. There's no. no Nebraska. There is no Oklahoma. There is no Texas. Or Texas A&M. Yeah, the, the rivalries have gone away. Mm-hmm. You know, unless, unless you're going to get amped up by by playing Cincinnati, Brigham Young, Central Florida, those are your new rivals at Colorado. Come on now. So I, I just I question all that. Um, now the burning question: the commissioner over the weekend of the Big Twelve said we got thirteen with CU coming in. We're going to go to fourteen. Now who are you going to go get? I think. You know, who is the 14th school that you might want to add? Unless they make a raid in the middle of the night and they go back into Texas and they get SMU. Hmm. Dallas TV market. You know, SMU would be hooked up emotionally to Houston and the Oklahoma schools and all that. Maybe that's the one that they're going to offer. The Pac-12, I thought more about this. Boy, did they miss the boat five years ago when the Big 12 was in huge trouble. The Pac-12 had a chance to go after Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU, and Texas Tech. They could have been the first one to start the mega conference, and they didn't do it. Hmm. Presidents, and I guess the commissioner, Larry Scott, did not want to reach out that far. 
But, I mean, think think of where the Pac-12 would be viewed right now if they had taken those schools that were available. But Texas, Oklahoma pulled the power play and said, no, we just don't want your average TV share. We want to be able to keep our own TV networks in place and make that money on the side, not share it with you. And that offended a whole bunch of people. So the Pac-12 kind of missed this thing. Pac-12 still is not revealed. There's a there's a fourth network now that has shown up in supposed negotiations. You know, it's, they're talking to Comcast about a streaming package. They're talking to the CW again. CW, by the way, just bought the rights to NASCAR's Infinity Series, which is their Saturday racing series. Hmm. CW's just gotten that. So you and I have been talking about CW jumping into the, the sports venue. So we'll see if Disney is part of this, if, if there's some su- subsidiary with ABC, ESPN. But now there's, it looks like there's four networks there. And what does the Pac-12 do? They sit there and watch the Big 12 take SMU? Should the Pac-12 offer SMU right now for 2024? Should they then offer San Diego State for 2025 once the Mountain West thing is over, their contract there? Or do they just sit, sit and wait and see if there's fallout? And one other wild card, since I'm overloading you with data, <laughs> what, what does it do to the Pac-12 credibility? If they just turn around when they go to nine and they just turn around and raid the Mountain West and they take the Aztecs, they take Boise, they take Fresno, and they add SMU, does that water them down or does that make them stronger? So, John, I I dumped a lot on you. I'll just ask you specifically, what the hell is Colorado bring to the Big 12 aside from Neon Dion's cowboy hat? Yeah, well, their basketball program doesn't do anything. I mean, I can't recall the last time they were any good. So, yeah, it's it's not a lot. I think people are giving them props mostly because they used to be in the Big 8, the Big 12. And so they, maybe they feel like it's just kind of coming home. But you're right. There, there isn't a whole lot that they offer. Plus, they're on the other side of the Rocky Mountains. So I don't really give it much it's not that big of a deal. But but from the Pac-12 perspective, they went from the Pac-12 to the Pac-10. Now they're Pac-9. Are, are they going to be the Pac-8, 7, 6? I mean, what's happening here, Lee? I don't think, I don't think the other ones, I don't think the Oregon's, Washington's, or the corner schools will defect. I don't think they should defect. Okay, so where does the Big 12 go to add a 14th school? Is it SMU? Just go take the Dallas TV markets? Well, I think maybe because with TCU is in Fort Worth, right? Right. And so you, that way you can kind of have two teams in that marketplace. That's a good idea. But who else would you get? Um, I'm trying to think of who's in that in that turf. There that, isn't anybody. There, that you're right. I mean, unless you go to UTEP or something like that. I mean, there's really nothing else out there, is there? No, not not at all. Maybe Rice, but does Rice even have a football program? I have no idea. Yeah, but they've been downtrodden for a long time. Yeah. So. So that that's where we're with the Big 12. Pac-12, give me a response. What do they do? Do they offer one? Do they offer two? Do they raid the Mountain West? What does that do to their credibility to suck all these Mountain West teams into the what used to be the Pac-10, Pac-12? Well, geographically and maybe TV market-wise, it would be great for the Pac-12 to get Vegas, to get San Diego, um, maybe you know, maybe Reno, you know, they're, they're in Fresno, maybe. But the thing is, is that Almost all of those schools, except San Diego State, were never of the academic credentials that the Pac-12 was so proud of being. You know, and you know, here you would be kind of weird to have Fresno State facing off against Stanford. I mean, that would be like you know, two totally different demographic profiles on the field. Yeah, 
I don't know where this is going to go. This is so much up in the air, so much upside down. But now if the Pac- the Pac-12 has to be worried. If the Big 12 is saying, we're going to go get a 14th right now, that to me has to be SMU. So that that goes away for the Pac-12 in terms of TV sets. Mm-hmm. So it leaves you San Diego State. Or are they just better to stay at nine and just see what happens with the fallout? Well, how about Tulsa? That might be an approach, right? Tulsa's like Fresno State. Yeah. Okay. You've people, to... people in Norman, Oklahoma, people in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Tulsa, and I say who? Who? Where? Why? Yeah. So why 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 would Tulsa add anything to anywhere? Yeah, I'm trying to think who else is out there. Creighton, but that's just basketball um, only. I mean, we're just really reaching here. So that's where we are. Okay, before college football, let's remind everybody what happens at the end of the show on our live stream, John, the Fans Forum, because we're looking for opinions. Yeah, okay. We, again, we got a lot of folks in the Fans Forum. Who do I got here? We got Graham and Joey and Angel and Emmanuel and Manny and George. And I mean, it's just loading up. So you got a question or comment for Hacksaw, type it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment. And a reminder, subscribe. Subscribe so you'll know every time we post something on our website, in addition to the Monday bonus podcast, in addition to the Thursday podcast, and share. Tell all your friends who we are and what we're doing. If you can, give us a thumbs up. John doesn't have any friends. I don't have many friends now. Just give us a five-star rating along the way, too. And by the way, check my website. The address is right there up top, leehacksawhamilton.com. I write a ton of stuff every day. And if you're a Padres fan... Read my one man's opinion column, my memo to Padres general manager, (laughs) A.J. Preller. A reminder, our podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, enjoy it. John, on we go. Other topics on the table, the NFL. Yeah, the NFL is, you've been hearing about this running back situation. We talked about Austin Eckler, and now I guess the running back with the Colts is in the mix. Well, there's a lot of controversial stuff about the NFL. Uh, Let's start with what they're being paid. They're up in arms over that. It's a running back revolt. Uh, Saquon Barkley caved in the New York Giant running back, who a week ago wrote on social media, quote, F them. They want to see my value. If I don't play for them this year, they'll see my value. Well, he caved in. He wound up taking, and I don't understand this. He took a one-year deal for $11 million. The franchise tag number was 10.1. So he got a little bit of a bump. But this is the same guy that turned down three years, $39 million from the Giants in the offseason. So he settles for one year, 11. He gets paid. But he's the risk. What if he gets hurt? Yeah. Now he's got no leverage whatsoever. So that was weird. Josh Jacobs of the Raiders left at the airport in Vegas, leaving as all these players are flying in to start training camp. No communication. And we find out Josh Jacobs was offered one year, $13 million, which is a nice bump from the 10.1 franchise tag fee. He turned that down. Why would you do that? I mean, it's more money. Granted, mm-hmm. it's only a one-year deal, but they've not been able to bridge the gap. Dalvin Cook, Minnesota, he was released. 10.6 mil. He's in New York at the Jets camp. They think he's going to sign a deal uh, to, to team up with Aaron Rodgers. But that being said, he's not going to get 10.6 mil. It'll be a pay cut. Uh, the Jets do have 15 million cap space because of Aaron Rodgers restructuring his contract. Zeke Elliott spent the weekend in Foxborough with the Patriots, Hmm. ex-Cowboy. Hard to believe he's not in somebody's camp yet. He made 
six, I think, last year. They asked him to take a cut to five. He said no. They let him go. He's not going to get 10.6 with the New England Patriots. Belichick doesn't pay his guys that money. Austin Eckler is is staying with the Chargers. He is not happy, but he's going to play the final year of his contract. There's another risk there. Uh, he's He got a bit of a incentive bonus package. If he has a typical Eckler year, he'll earn $8.5 million. So that's the running back situation, but it's weird. I mean, how Barkley acted, what he said, boycotted all the workouts and then signs. And signs were less than he could have had when they offered him three three years or $39 million. And then obviously all the other guys with Josh Jacobs turned down or Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott, et cetera. Turning down $13 million a year for three years. I mean, it's like the bird in the hand. You know, you got to take the money when they offer you that kind of a deal. But it's just weird to, about running backs and how they almost seem to be disposable. I mean, is that how the owners think of them? But what's the average career of a running back? Maybe three years in the NFL? Well, you know, the league will float the the theory that average life expectancy of an NFL player is three years. But that's not really a fair claim. That three-year average totals out all guys on a 53-man roster. You know, in the bottom half of the roster, there's churn. It gets Mm -hmm. churned over a lot. You take the star guys, take the star running backs, their life expectancy could be seven to ten years. Hmm. So that, that that number, average life in the NFL is three years plus. That's not correct because the stars, vis-a-vis Tom Brady, played forever. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think when you really do an average of the marquee players, it's it's much higher. It it could be seven to ten to twelve years per player for the stars that you're paying all the money to. So it's not like they're dead men walking. I wonder though if you go back in time when you look at. You know, the top running backs in the league. Let's talk about like Walter Payton or, or, um, uh, Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders. Yeah. Were they ever like the most compensated player on the team or has it always been a quarterback league? No, it's been a quarterback league, but they were at the top of what the running backs were being paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, the, the flip side of that is the injury factor is significant and guys' careers, you're one snap away from the end of your career. So, that comes into the equation, which makes what Barkley did stupid because he, he's already had one major injury, missed a, almost a full season. You know, when you're offered 13 mil a year on a 39 mil deal that we almost fully guaranteed, why would you not take that? And, and it's not like he has a whole bunch of alternatives, you know, people lining up to sign him. Yeah, that was a foolish move. He should have taken the cash. So that's where we are. We'll keep notes of these NFL stories. And of course, Hall of Fame ceremony this coming uh, weekend. And obviously the NFL preseason schedule starts Thursday night. Oh, my God. I'll bring the sub sandwiches. You provide the Corona beer. It'll be New York Jets, Cleveland Browns, Hall of Fame game. Wow. I mean, that's that's always like by itself, right? Before the the, the rest of the schedule follows. But who's getting inducted now? Is someone getting inducted? Oh, yeah. Um, You would ask me, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, There's a whole bunch of guys Mm -hmm. uh, led by, I think, uh, Browns star left tackle Joe Thomas, I think, is part of that mix. Mm -hmm. Don Coriel from the contributors class will be enshrined posthumously. Dan Fouts will give the speech. Oh, yeah. So they they make the announcement like in January. And then so the ceremony will be in the summer. Yeah. So the ceremony is always linked to the Hall of Fame game at Fawcett Stadium in Canton, Ohio. Right on. So we get get first look at the Jets. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers will play. Maybe he'll make a cameo appearance. You got Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. So the Hall of Fame game comes up on Thursday.
Okay, let's go from football to the other brand of football. <laughs> yeah, football. You know, watching this World Cup, I mean, the, the U.S. women, what, they're 1-0-1 one, one going into their third game. Win and a tie. They have to win or tie Portugal to move on. If they somehow lose, and that's kind of hard to believe because Portugal has never beaten Team USA. If they lose, they're out. Um, the big the big issue is they should have beaten the Netherlands and they didn't. There's a lot of criticism being dumped on their coach, Vlatko Andonovsky, because he did not utilize his bench at all in the tie game with the Dutch. And he had Megan Rapinoe, ready, or I'm sure Rapino to come off the bench, and he never called on her. And there's a lot of criticism of the tactics that he really needed uh, Rapino to set the offense out on the far edge, which is where her office is set up, and either fire shots or make passes. Because when she's on the field on one side and Alex Morgan is on the other, it pulls the defenses out because you got to defend them. And that opens up lanes for the runners. And we've seen Sophia Smith have some really great scoring chances, mm. and she's spotted a couple of goals in Trinity Rodman and Elisa Thompson. So there's an awful lot of criticism of uh, and, and Donofsky, the head coach, who'd been there before, about not utilizing everybody on that bench. It changes the chemistry of the game. You, you bring Megan Rapino in off the bench in the second half in the 70th minute against a fatigued defense, and she's got fresh legs. And she's got the ability to break in off the wing and make shots or the ability to suck defenses over and then make pinpoint passes. Her dead ball ability, controlling the ball, is, is phenomenal. So there's an awful lot of criticism of that coach right now. But but Vlatko has stood strong and said, we have won with this style and these women before, and this is what we're doing. And Megan said, I'm not offended. I'll come off the bench. I'll do whatever they want. This is her final World Cup Uh but they need they need to run the offense through those people out on the edge to get those runners loose. And those Sophia Smith is just fast, electric, mm-hmm. really sharp. And they got some problems on the defense because of injuries along the way. They're a little bit a little bit thin there. We're not going to bed tonight. The game's at midnight West Coast time. Midnight mm. tonight on Fox. Okay. Uh, that's 3 o'clock on the Eastern Seaboard if you want to call your son and wake him up so he can watch it. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, it's the middle of the night, unfortunately. But uh, they win. They go on to the knockout round. The big issue, if they win, go on to the knockout round. Who's that ahead, right ahead there? Oh, that's Sweden. Holy cow, that's going to be hard. Uh-oh. They play Sweden in the knockout round if if they can qualify and win. So it'll be a challenge, but got to got to win at midnight tonight. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to pull an all-nighter here <laughs> and watch them tonight. Because, uh, yeah, Sophia Smith is really fun to watch yeah. her. I mean, she moves that ball, and she can she has moves to juke the other players. Dart and dash. For sure. Uh, but I was surprised in the game um, against the Netherlands when the Netherlands controlled the middle portion of the game. And... You know, it didn't seem like the U.S. sort of reacted or changed their game plan, and and they ended up with that tie. That was disappointing. And that was, a, I thought, that was a game that a match they could have won, and they didn't bring uh, Rapino off the bench, and she would have added firepower, and she would have added speed. 
against a fatigued Dutch side, and they didn't do it. And the coach is just, he's defiant that he did anything wrong. <laughs> uh, Rapino's not going to criticize him, but he's defiant, and the national media is banging on him pretty good. So we'll see what happens tonight against Portugal. I mean, there have been surprises along the way, uh, some upsets, uh, but we go to knockout round next week once, once we get through what's going to happen tonight. Okay, it's time for Fans Form. A reminder, our podcast brought to you by your friends at Dixie Line. Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Big question. They've got lots of them. We got answers. Where do you want to go, John? Your best friends are waiting to join the program. Oh, my God. There's just so much here. So, um, and, and here's one here. This, this is from Graham, and he says, There's only one man truly qualified to analyze the Padres at the trade deadline. We love you, Saw. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I have opinions. Um, had, they, had they gotten beat two out of three by Texas, uh, I think they would have been sellers, which would have been really disappointing because I said all along, and I wrote a column about it, uh, it would have sent a bad message to the community and to the fans. So we'll see if A.J. can find a first baseman, part-time D.H., who can hit. Uh, because of the wear and tear factor on some of the starters, you know, is is there a rental starter out there that maybe he could get? Uh, I would have thought that maybe he might have taken a run at C.J. Cron, but Colorado traded him uh, to the Angels. Uh, I would would have thought that, because they've done deals with Cleveland. Savale would have been the kind of guy that comes in the middle of your rotation, the back of the rotation, and just gives you quality starts and innings. He's a crafty guy. He's got a 2.93 year earn run average, but Padres either weren't willing, and this is the other part of the equation, not willing to give up the gems. And there's there's a couple of real gems in the farm system, which are not going to trade Robbie Snelling, the left-handed pitcher, and you should not trade Jackson Morrell, the young shortstop who's now playing really well at double A. So it, it must be that AJ just is not willing to give up what these other guys are asking for. Yeah, CJ Crone would have been a nice fit here because he could have been a DH first baseman and we, we could have had the two Crone zone guys on one team. Um, but, uh, don't, I think the Padres roster is quite a bit different now that we have Luis Campusano who's catching and hitting pretty well so far. And, and then Robert Suarez, with the exception of his first outing, he's looked really good. Yeah, but that's right now guy with an elbow joint issue you don't know a week from now how many times you use him does it flare i i would never get rid of hater and at this point i would not trade blake snell and obviously the soto thing he's he's banging it pretty good i mean you're hitting 286 with some power now uh since may why would you trade him now you still got to sign him i understand that you still got to go through scott boros but uh We'll see what AJ does. Historically, he's always done things, so we'll see if there's something else out there. The one in, one intangible thing I will say this, John, before we go to the next people who've got next group of people who've got things to ask. Um, recently, it looks like they've found how to slot these guys in the bullpen. Hater in the ninth, mm-hmm. Suarez in front of that, Nick Martinez. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, guy okay, did not have that for a chunk of time. All of a sudden, it looks like we're fixed at 7th, 8th, and ninth inning if we have to make a call to the bullpen. Yeah, and then you got Stephen Wilson, you know, for maybe the 6th inning. inning. But Martinez lately has been a little shaky. Yep. I've heard some uh, Twitter fans saying we're not sure about his cutter, that people are hitting it, you know. But he's got a great curveball and changeup. So maybe Martinez, if he can dial it in, you got four guys. So if Snell only goes five, 
then you have those four guys to carry it the rest of the way. That can work. Yeah, and this is really the first time all year, all of a sudden, job responsibilities and roles and slots seem to be established. Okay, next question. Okay, so let's go here to Joey Yarbrough, and he says, what's the Raiders' record going to be this season? Well, I don't pick records right now. Let me get to the final week of August before the season starts because records are based on who's healthy and who's not. And if you get a significant injury, whole things change. And right now, you can't prognosticate what the Raiders are going to be because there is no Josh Jacobs. There'll be a substandard offense without him. And, of course, there is no Darren Waller at tight end. He's having a great camp with the Giants. It's it's a little early. If Josh Jacobs is back there the last week of August as we go towards the start of the season in September, you know, then, then I think the Raiders are feeling better. But they've still got problems on the other side of the defense. So a little too early to give you an answer to that question. But last week of August, put your beer down and dial us back and we'll be able to tell you better. Yeah. Last year we did that NFL preview and that was terrific. I mean, you have so much data you bring to the table. But the Raiders, you got to figure, are going to be at the bottom of the of the AFC West. But, you know, Jimmy G, apparently he's looked good in camp. He has and there's an intangible thing here that uh, nobody's really talked about. We probably throw this into the conversation. Garoppolo played in New England. He played for Josh McDaniels as a young quarterback out of Eastern Illinois, and he kind of blossomed in that playbook. So he walked into that office, into that facility in Las Vegas, sat down with Josh McDaniels, and the playbook that he was so fully involved with with the Patriots is kind of like the same playbook he's running with the Raiders. Mm -hmm. So he had inside knowledge. He kind of hit the floor running. Now, the big thing with Jimmy G, <laughs> got to keep him upright, got to keep him on the field because he's had significant, significant injuries. But smart cookie, I think his one loss record on uh, San Francisco is 31 and 14. That's pretty decent. Yeah. I mean, he's a steady Eddie kind of guy, but, you know, hit the floor running, but his ankle and his foot were giving him trouble. He couldn't run very much. Yeah. On we go. Next question. Okay, here we go. This is uh, this is from Angel asking about the Angels. He says, keep an Otani, grabbing an arm, a few bats. You think the Angels did enough to grab one of the two or one of the three AL wildcard spots? Well, everybody in the world thinks everybody from the American League East is going to get all the wildcard spots, but mm-hmm. that, that might not happen right now. Uh, yeah, the Angels, they're going to have to win some key games here, you know, beginning with the, their series tomorrow. Uh, they've, they've got some challenges ahead, but at least they've, they've added six players. And now I don't know when Mike Trout might be available. Is it sometime in September? And what, what percentage of Mike Trout will you get back if he comes off the surgery on the wrist and the hand? Um but if, if they can get Trout back in the lineup at the end of September and if they're still hanging in the race, then maybe they make it. But they, they, they had no chance prior, and they would have had no chance if they'd moved Otani. They've had a much better chance because now they've added six guys, uh, and they'll, they'll help Giolito find his rhythm in the rotation. And each of these guys has a track record of being able to hit, You know, whether it's Kron, whether it's Randall Grichuk, obviously, and—, and I, they're better now than they were a week ago this time. And I think they're, uh, the intangible thing there, John, is they're better mentally. I think those guys in that clubhouse say, holy cow, look look what this general manager has given us in terms of veteran experience coming in the front door. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be a boost of confidence, um, you know, to know that 
that the ownership believes in them. And so they're putting more on the table. I, I hope the Angels can figure out a way because they've been so downtrodden. You got Trout, Otani, all these other guys, you know, we're Hunter Renfro friends as well. So let's hope that they can figure out a way to get in because, you know, Angel fans deserve it. Seven guys on the DL. Man, that's that's horrid. And a lot of those guys are real key contributors uh, to the angel batting order. And who knows when they get Rendon back, if they get Rendon back. And like I say, who knows how much they can get out of Trout. Trout keeps saying he's coming back in mid-September. Time will tell. We move on. We move on. So uh, let's go here to Manny. He says, why hasn't the Big Ten offered an invitation to Oregon and Washington yet? The Pac question mark is a dying league. Well, you can dump all over the Pac-9 if you wish, but I don't think those people view themselves as being on the conference deathbed. Uh, You can't make a judgment on anything in the Pac-9 right now until we actually find out what the dollar value of the contract is. Now, granted, the contract is going to be less than had they been the Pac-12, but like John and I argued about, and I'm sorry if we insulted people in Boulder, Colorado, what the hell did Colorado bring to the conference? It didn't really bring very much except almost a guaranteed W every Saturday in college football for somebody they were playing. Um, I'm not willing to say the conference is dead. If this TV contract number comes in at 37 or $40 million based on the nine schools, and then they have the wherewithal to go create something else by getting somebody else, then maybe, you know, maybe the Pac-12 will bounce back. The weirdest one that's out there is Notre Dame, and there just continues to be dialogue or maybe rumor beneath the surface that the Big Ten wants to talk to Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame's got this alliance with the ACC, but they're not really a conference member, and they still have their NBC TV contract, which they think is mega money. But Notre Dame and the Big Ten makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. Now, could the Pac-12 reach into South Bend and say, hey, would you want to come be part of this? I think that's absurd geographically. But hell, West Virginia being in the Big 12 makes no geographic sense to me at all. Same thing with Central Florida. So, uh, let's judge the Pac-9's future health after we find out the dollar value in the next couple of weeks of what the TV contract looks like. But it's going to be the Pac-12 in 2023, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, and then 2024... It'll, it'll be the Pac-9. It'll be the Pac-9. Uh, but yeah, Notre Dame, I'm surprised they've never been in the Big Ten in the first place. I mean, historically, they've always been independent, right? Historically, they've always been Notre Dame. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you, you want to talk to me... Mm-hmm. Genuflect first, show me how much money you got, and I'll talk to you. I've been in South Bend. I've been in that stadium. I mean, it is mystical. That touchdown Jesus thing? Oh, yeah. That's for real. Mm -hmm. Trust me. But that being said, they're not, football-wise, they're not what they used to be. Now, they've had some good stretches, Brian Kelly and obviously the new coach coming in the front door. But it's just not Notre Dame as we've known Notre Dame through the 80s into the 70s to the 60s to the 50s, etc. So uh, then they've fought off, you know, they've fought off membership. They want to they want to be on high. They want to look down on everybody. And we're Notre Dame. So that's why I haven't joined anywhere yet. <laughs> OK, well, let's move on. We got some comments here from the social media friends. And let's go here to. A comment here about Bob Melvin. This is from Mark Knox from Instagram. He says, I'm reading a lot of negative comments about the players. No way. It's the coach. The team is awesome. Need a little help in the middle relief and a coach who understands situational baseball. Stop the hating. 
Well, I, I do think there are critiques that are proper as it relates to Bob Melvin. Why are you not pinch hitting in certain situations? Why do you send this guy up unless you're trying to get this guy untracked? And the use of the bullpen. But that probably goes on to an awful lot of places. You go up the road with Dave Roberts, who's got 700-plus wins with the Dodgers, all-time record. And he's getting raked over the coals for what are you doing with the batting order and you know the kid pitchers and all that. So I think that happens all kinds of places. During the really bad stretches of Padre baseball, you wondered about team chemistry and you wondered about leadership and you wondered about relationships, the dugout, the manager to the people upstairs. And I'm around that team a lot and I hear those rumblings. And if I'm hearing those rumblings as a guy that's not in that clubhouse for every meeting, then I'd, I have to wonder if there's where there's smoke, there might be some fire. But nobody's making any changes unless this thing falls apart and they don't make the playoffs. Then I think there will be accountability that will come into play with the conversation in October. Yeah, I think Preller has got to just keep going all in and keep trusting on, on the deals that he's made. But just say hypothetically, the uh, Padres decided to get rid of Melvin and replace him with Schilt. What, what's Melvin's deal? I mean, doesn't he have a few more years guaranteed? Yeah, I think he's got at least one, if not two. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the issue. If they hit the eject button on Bob Melvin, who was a Preller hire, after Preller fired the guy he hired, Jay Stingler, and fired the guy he hired and Andy Green, and fired the guy he did not want in Bud Black, mm-hmm. and refused to interview the guy they should have interviewed, Dave Roberts, you can make another managerial change. You're going to trust the general manager to make the managerial change again, mm. again, again. Well, Peter Seidler, he has full confidence in A.J. Preller. He's the golden boy. (laughs) He can do no wrong. You know, but I I feel kind of bad for Preller because he and Seidler had a strategy. They stepped up. They put their money on the table. They got some of the top players. It's just not working. And we all thought under Bob Melvin's leadership and experience, he'd be able to steady the ship. But right now, it still feels dysfunctional. Hey, when they made those moves... You and I were yelling at each other, first place, baby. Yes. And they're in fourth place right now, pal. Yeah, but they're on the upswing. So we'll see where it goes. Next question. Okay, so let's uh, talk a little bit here about San Diego State. This is from Rob. And he said, Lee, you couldn't be more wrong, sir, about San Diego State not having much to offer the Pac-12 conference or any other Power 5 conference. Look at what the football program has collectively accomplished over the last 10 to 15 years, especially against the Pac at one-fifth of the budget. They bring a top 30 TV market, target-rich recruiting grounds, academic standards as good or better than many PAC schools, you know, certainly not Berkeley or Stanford, Uh, great geography and location, infrastructure. San Diego State's a sleeping giant. It's sleeping, that's for certain. Here's the big issue, and this guy is obviously a (laughs) card-carrying member of the Aztec Club, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with rooting for your alma mater. Uh, The big question is, are there any... Pac-10 schools out there that sell only 10,000 season tickets in a brand new stadium, in a market of 3.5 million? Mm -hmm. The freaking alumni don't care. They don't even support the program. Now, everybody's a front runner for basketball, Mm -hmm. okay? But that being said, this football program's been pretty solid for a long chunk of years. And yeah, they've beaten a a Pac-12 team, although I... I don't think it's sexy that you only play the bottom feeders in the Pac-12 and then you beat him. You say, hey, look what we just accomplished. You know, I did. Yeah. Have you ever, ever beaten Washington, uh, Oregon? Um, 
UCLA at one time, USC. Eh. So there's just an issue here. I've never been able to figure it out. Hell, I've been here since 1987. How could you have this many alums? San Diego State alums are every pocket of San Diego County and up the Inland Empire. How could you have that many people not care about their alma mater and about the football program? They they don't support it. Community but, supports it. Some people in the community support it. But, you know, if, if you're barking at me, we're a Pac-12 school. I know Pac-12 schools that sell 10,000 season tickets, and that's what their number is right now on a shiny new stadium. Yeah, well, I, I got to figure Washington State, Oregon State, they sell well over 10,000, right? They average 35,000 a game. You can't jam anybody in yeah. uh, to, to Martin Stadium in, in Pullman any longer. I mean, and they haven't been great, but they support it. The well, student body supports it. Same thing in Corvallis. It's amazing. I mean, the Beavers are not the Ducks. The Ducks are a corporate team. Oh, for sure. The Beavers, Oregon State in Corvallis, is a mom-and-pop operation. They're one of the poor athletic departments, like Washington State, in the conference, and yet they sell out their bloody stadium, and they compete like hell. Mm-hmm. And they've got a much bigger stadium than Snapdragon yeah. um, out there in Corvallis. But, you know, right now the community is in love with the basketball program and the Aztec alumni are coming out for that. But I just really think being two years removed in Carson took the wind out of the sails. Yep. We were watching the games on TV where the Aztecs were at a distance. And then one of those years they failed to make a bowl game for the first time in a long time. So I think it, once this program starts winning again, I don't see why it wouldn't be what we're experiencing at Viejas Arena with a big fan base and a lot of excitement. Yeah. I'll just say this uh, as we close out, Robs. This is a great football schedule they're playing at home. They ought to be marketing, come see us and come see these teams that we're going to beat. Because they have a chance to have a hell of a season because they're playing all these guys here. Mm-hmm. led by Chip Kelly and UCLA. Yeah, that'd be great to be able to knock them off. But you remember back in the day when they played Cal? And I can't remember who the quarterback was, but he was calling them San Diego bleeping state, you know. and, yeah, and Davis Webb. That's who it was. And okay. they beat him. Yeah. They intercepted a whole pile of passes in the second half, and it was here at home. So I, I, would, I would just think they've got to find a way to market to the community that this is a hell of a schedule we're going to play. Come be, come be the 12th man wearing red and black. Okay, we move on. We move on. Here's little comments about UCLA and USC from Logan. He says, funny, LMAO, because I cannot wait for both UCLA and USC football to play at Ann Arbor, Michigan, Columbus, Ohio, State College, Pennsylvania, or Twin Cities, Minnesota during November's cold freeze, hail, ice, (laughs) or snow weather. Better buckle up on this adventure. Yeah, I think the schedule is going to be unbelievably challenging. I think the travel, excuse me, is going to be a bitch for these guys. USC travels 21,000 miles in 12 weeks. That's an enormous amount of time on the plane. Uh, And now, granted, they're they're playing an imbalanced schedule. SC plays more road games, I think, this year in the conference. They'll get more home games next year. And the UCLA is the flip of that. But I think it's, it's going to be an enormous challenge because those schools, you go play at Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, that's like an insane asylum. It is so loud <laughs> yeah. and it is so big. And obviously you play in the Horseshoe in Columbus and Ann Arbor's 106,000 or maybe it's 110,000 now. And Harbaugh's got those guys really cranked up. So it'll be an enormous challenge. 
It's not like you're playing downtrodden Washington State or overwhelmed Stanford going forward. Now you're playing big boys. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen, you see some of these other teams in the in the Big Ten. There's some pretty good football programs in the Big Ten. Maybe not Rutgers, maybe not Maryland and some of those people. But it'll. I think it's going to be an enormous challenge for SC and UCLA to go east. Yeah, it will be a big challenge. But you know what? I think they're going to eventually be up to it. You know, they've got a history, both those football programs. And, you know, it's, this whole thing is just driven by money, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why they went into the Big Ten. They're going to get a lot more resources. UCLA is going to kind of repair their balance sheet, which is in turmoil. And I think these programs are going to grow. And maybe at first they might get knocked around a little bit, especially in November, as, as we were talking about. But I, I think it'll be exciting for them to maybe step up. And who knows? Maybe they can win the Big Ten. Well, Caleb Williams is obviously the guy that's going to carry the Southern Cal flag, and he's got he's got the flag in his right hand. He's got the Heisman Trophy in his left hand, and he is great. UCLA is a whole it's a whole different entree. We're going to talk more about that later in the week. I mean, UCLA is is really in the middle of rebuild because there is no quarterback and there is no running back, and they're gone. Hmm. Uh, and obviously, Chip Kelly has got to fix his defense, which has been substandard. So, we'll talk more about it as we go. But I think in the, just in the big picture. These guys are going to be on everybody's target list when they go into all these places, whether it's Ann Arbor or East Lansing or Madison or even Bloomington or West Lafayette, Indiana. It's not going to be an easy place to go play because they are who they are, bringing their reputation, their flag, their Heisman Trophy quarterback in. It's going to be challenging. Let's do a couple more here before we close it out. Okay, so let's uh, talk here a little bit about the Padres. This is from Charlie, and he says, Hacksaw, you have to understand that the Padres are selling out out, but it's not a complete sellout of full capacity 42,445. Padres consider attendance of 39,000 as a sellout. Padre fans have bought most of the tickets for this year already. It doesn't make sense for them to not attend the game. All season tickets are sold. There's a handful of, of single, single tickets available. Padre fans won't boycott games because their money has already been spent. Well, you're correct. But my, my statement that I made last week is... If this turns out to be a seller of a season, it's not going to. But if they sold off, bad message, missed the playoffs, bad message, prices continue to go up, bad message, fans going to come back to the volume they were at this year, Petco? That's a huge debate thing. But let's see if they can push this boulder up the hill, see if AJ can make a deal by Tuesday night to add something here that will make a difference. And then... We'll see if they can push their way August into September. A lot closer now than they've been closer in a while. But the whole season spins on what happens with these four games against the Dodgers. If the Mm -hmm. Blue come in here and beat them up with their bats, and the season would effectively be over. Their wild card chances would be gone. However, if these bats here, swing and fryer and all that, these bats beat up that bad Dodger pitching staff that an ERA of July of 6.15, Maybe the Dodgers are the one in trouble, and the Padres then propel themselves into the race. But So we got two months of baseball to play. It's going to be fascinating. But this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this decides the whole game, I think. Yeah, I think Manny and, and Juan Soto, they're all looking forward to facing Lance Lynn, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're going to get those high fastballs, and they're going to kill them. So I, but, you know, go to the attendance numbers, it's interesting because— a lot of times they call it a sellout, and you could see on television there's a lot of empty seats. So it always makes you wonder what the standard really is. Well, are they sellouts or are they no-shows? 
Mm -hmm. Or are they only calling it a sellout based on the lockdown number that they've got? Uh, uh, It's semantics. You look at what's going out there at Gallagher Square out in the outfield. That's so cool. Those prices are different than the prices inside Mm -hmm. at Petco Park. It's become a destination point. It's become a good thing to see. It'd be nice if the Padres would hold up their end of the equation and actually put this team in the playoffs again and see if they could make this thing come together because they have – They've really underachieved. Hey, listen, that's our Monday bonus podcast. We have gone a lot of different directions on the show. We hope you like what we do with the bonus podcast on Monday, what we do every Thursday on our regular podcast. We remind you, we urge you. Now, we demand that you subscribe so you'll get the alerts to everything that we're doing. If you want to give us a thumbs up, we'll take that. Give us five-star rating. We probably deserve that. And check my website. It's all written. And read my one-man's opinion column on my website today, my memo to A.J. Preller of the Padres. The website address is there at leehacksawhamilton.com. And our podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it. Build it. You will enjoy it. John, get ready for the baseball trading deadline. Get ready for World Cup soccer. Take a deep breath. And we'll be back here on Thursday to argue again. Yeah, hopefully I'll have some sleep because I'm not going to get much tonight with the with the World Cup match. All-nighters. Everybody pull all-nighters. Go red, white, and blue. And thanks for joining us on our podcast on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.